What an intro. So excited to be with you here this morning. You know, my wife and I just returned from our 25th wedding anniversary trip. 25 years with my lovely lady. And I'll tell you that 25 years ago when we were engaged, I had, I had done a six-week uh, backpack trip through Europe after I graduated from college. And when we got engaged, I showed those pictures to my wife, and she said, you know what, when we get married, I want you to take me to Italy. And I said, on our 25th wedding anniversary, we will go to Italy. I will take you to Venice. And so that's what we did. We, we went to Italy, and as we cruised into Venice, my lovely lady Kimberly cried. And it was just a magical moment. And we started talking about dreams for the next 25 years. What are we going to do for the next 25 years? And so today is a special day for me. I, I love the Father's Day weekend. Um, I love taking time with my wife and my kids on this particular day, and it's an honor today to be able to share with you some truths from God's Word. You know, there's another reason why Father's Day is important to me also. Two years ago on Father's Day weekend, I invited my next-door neighbor Lars to attend Higher Vision Church, and it was the starting weekend of his spiritual journey through Higher Vision. I kept watching for him to come through the back doors of the church. I mean, here's a guy who hadn't been a part of a church in, in over 40 years and actually told me if he ever attended church, he thought the walls of the church would fall down. <laughs> and so I kept watching for him to come in. He never came in. But during one of the moments of the message, I shared a transparent uh, a moment as a father when I realized a few years ago that I was giving my wife and my kids the leftovers of my time. I likened it to a strawberry pie. After the strawberry pie is gone, all you have is goo in the bottom of the pan. And that's what I was giving my family, the goo in the bottom of the pan, the leftovers of my time and attention. When I went home that afternoon, I received a text from Lars, and he said, I want you to meet me back at the fence, the back fence. And so I went back, and there was Lars standing at the fence, having gone to Marie Callender's with a strawberry pie. <laughs> and he said, obviously, you know that I did not attend this morning, but I watched you online. And I decided to buy this strawberry pie for you and give it to you and just say to you that I hope this weekend is not a weekend that you'll feel like your family gets the leftovers again. And he had tears in his eyes. Two weeks later, he attended Higher Vision Church for the first time. Two months later, he dedicated his life to Christ. And for the past two years... Lars has been attending Higher Vision Church, and I want to honor him this morning. And I want to honor every father and every dad 
who has made an investment of your time and your energy into your kids and your family. We honor you on this Father's Day. You know, fathers, or fatherhood is not a job that you turn on and off. Sometimes we can go to work and we can turn the light switch on and we can turn the light switch off, but, but fatherhood is not that way. It's a 24-7 responsibility, something you invest your life in. And sometimes you're looked at differently according to the age of your children. You know, at four years of age, daddy can do anything. At seven years of age, daddy knows a lot. At 12 years of age, my dad doesn't know everything. At 16 years of age, my dad is old-fashioned. At 21 years of age, my dad is hopelessly out of touch. At 25 years of age, my dad is not as far out there as I thought. At 30 years of age, my dad usually has some good advice. At 40 years of age, my dad knows just about everything. At 50 years of age, I wonder what my dad would have said. At 60 years of age, I wish I could talk to my dad one more time. It's interesting how our perspective of our fathers changed down through the years. I want to ask you if you would to turn to your source of scripture to Job chapter 1 and verse 8. I want to talk about Job today, a guy who is not known for his great accomplishments. In fact, he's not known as a a supernatural person, perhaps like Samson who killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, perhaps would have been a biblical day hulk, if you will, or somebody like Elijah who may have been considered like Flash, outrunning out a chariot. Job, Job wasn't any of those things. He was just an everyday, put it on the line, do your best dad. We're going to look at his life today and find out just a few things about what it's like to be a father. Now, while you're, you're turning to Job chapter 1 and verse 8, I, I want to simply share with you today that last weekend we had a guest here at Higher Vision Church, and a video clip was shared. Now, I want to say to you that Pastor Jared and myself and our pastoral team was just a little bit, felt a little awkward at the video clip. You know, sometimes when you bring in guests, you're, you're not always able to monitor what's said and shown. In fact, I was gone, Pastor Jared was gone. But we want to apologize to you this morning on behalf of the pastoral team, because we feel like the video crossed the line. You know, I think the cool thing about our community of faith is the fact that on any given Sunday, all of you will come and you'll love 95% of what you see in here. But there's probably 5% that, that you may not enjoy. But the great thing about this particular community of faith is we stay focused on the 95% and not the 5%.
we stay focused on the big picture. So would you accept our apology this morning for that video clip and just know that that we are aware and want to do our best to make sure that everyone is comfortable as we continue in our spiritual journey. Are you ready for Job 1 and 8? Let's look at it together. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? And I'm reading from the Message Bible because there's a specific phrase that is mentioned here that we're going to touch on. There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word. Isn't that a great testimony as a dad or a father that people look at us and say, you know, he is honest. He's true to his word. Totally devoted to God and hating evil. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your your great love for us. I thank you that you're the ultimate example of fatherhood. I thank you that you walk alongside of us and strengthen us and encourage us. And I pray today that you'll teach us through your word. We will gain a better perspective of what fatherhood is really about. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. Now it's interesting because God gives a character reference for Job. And he says, here's a guy that's devoted. He doesn't talk about his accomplishments, but he talks about what he represents. And I believe the optimum question for dads today, for fathers, is this. What do we represent? What does the D on our chest stand for? We have three chairs up here today that I think will help us to navigate through that question. What does the D on the chest stand for? What what does fatherhood really represent? What should we be focused on? In this first chair, we have the cold chair representing what I like to say as the detached. Of course, if you understand the idea of cold in scripture, you realize it represents someone who has a cold spirit, a heart of stone. This is not the chair we want to be sitting in. It's the detached chair. We're detached from God. We're detached from our families. Our heart is cold. You know, we live in a culture that oozes or emanates with pseudo-connectedness. We seem to be connected to just about everything, but we belong to very little. Just open up your wallets and you'll find all kinds of cards, credit cards connecting you to credit companies, uh, Macy's card, uh, AAA card, all of these cards that represent connectedness in some form or fashion, but they really don't represent belonging. And I believe belonging is the critical issue of the day. What do we really belong to? What are we connected to? You know, in in, in many ways, even with social media, we're pseudo-connected. Many of us spend at least half of our waking hours looking at some kind of a screen, a phone screen, 
iPad screen, laptop screen, television screen, movie theater screen. I mean, think about all the hours that we spend looking at screens. It's this idea that we're connected to a lot of things, but we may not belong to many. And so today I want to challenge you with the notion that God is calling us to belong, calling us to move beyond the state of detachment. Did you know detachment is what creates iniquity? In fact, in Scripture, Jesus says this in Matthew 24 and 12. I believe it's in your notes as well as we're projecting it here on the screen. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Iniquity is sin. It's, it's a little different than transgression. They're similar but different. Transgression has to do with external sin. What happens on the outside? Iniquity or inequity, inside. Iniquity deals with what's going on from the inside out. Sin that is created on the inside that's intentional and purposeful that works its way out into our lives. Because of iniquity, the love of many wax cold. Now we understand why Jesus tells us through the prophet Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. Woundings are on the outside. But he was bruised for our iniquities. Bruising happens on the inside, inequities. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus came along to create an attachment, to create something to belong to. I love that. I love the fact that, that sometimes we can find ourselves in a position where we're seeking all these different things and we may not even understand what we're seeking. Let me also give you an idea of the result of iniquity. Here's what God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Oh, don't, don't miss that concept. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands. Some versions say thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Those of you who have joint custody of your kids can relate to this. Perhaps you can visit your kids on a weekend or on a certain day of the week. You have visitation rights at that particular time. Do you know that iniquity opens up the door and gives sin visitation rights to your children and your grandchildren? I'm going to say that again because I don't want you to miss it. Iniquity opens up sin's visitation rights to visit your kids to the third and the fourth generation. 
which means my decision-making as a father is critical to the future of my children. The decisions that I am making today are impacting the future of my children. My integrity is impacting my legacy. My integrity is impacting my inheritance. My integrity, if I'm doing the right things, is impacting my posterity, my progeny, my children, my grandchildren. So in the midst of a temptation, when I'm trying to decide, will I do the right thing or will I do the wrong thing, now I realize how important that decision is because it doesn't just impact me, but now it impacts my family. But here's the good news. If you make the right decisions, it doesn't just impact your children to the third and fourth generations. It impacts thousands. You can literally impact thousands by making the right decisions. A chair or a throne that holds up a king can be a chair or a throne that holds up generations of kings. That's how important our decisions are. Now, some of you might be thinking, but I, I don't have parents and grandparents who were Christ's followers. I'm the first generation follower of Christ. Here's the good news. You get to begin the pattern. You get to lay the foundation, start the pattern that will impact your, you get to be Abraham. Who impacts Isaac, who impacts Jacob. You get to start the process and change the legacy and inheritance of your children. My kids don't really realize this yet, I don't think. But the decisions that I am making are impacting their legacy. That's the cold chair. The middle chair is the lukewarm chair. I like to say it represents the desensitized. Those who get comfortable become lukewarm. I like to, to say that the lukewarm chair is the chair of appearances. We have this appearance thing going on where everything looks like it's okay. You know, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. We're one thing in public, we're another thing in private. We appear to be one thing that we're not. We're desensitized to God. Did you know that an interesting statement is made in Scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, where God says, I, I would rather have you hot or cold than lukewarm. It's the idea of, you know, the Goldilocks idea. Um, it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. But can I share with you that, that you don't want to sit in the chair of just the just right. You want your faith 
to be passionate, to be fervent, not to be desensitized. Where in Scripture do we read that, that God calls us to comfortability, to maintenance mode, cruise control, default faith? No, he says this, I want you to deny all, deny everything, take up your cross and follow me. I want you to be passionate and devoted to me. I, I want you to pursue me. I don't want you to just settle for the just right. And I, I've come to understand that, that all of us need accountability in this area because it's easy to sit in the lukewarm chair and to put up the facade. We need people to come along and keep us accountable. Keep people who will challenge us to grow in our faith. What kind of pastors would we be at Higher Vision Church if we just stand up and preach a word to you every weekend that never challenges you to change? We would be worth nothing. Our, our responsibility, our mission is to call you to the greater depths of God, to cause you to pursue your destiny in Christ, not to settle for the lukewarm chair being desensitized to everything around you, but, but having a hot faith. I, I love the movie Avatar. And I shared this with the men at man camp year before last. You know, Leona Lewis wrote the theme song, I See You, for that movie. And one of the writers, Terry Tillman, actually used those words, I see you, as the greeting on Pandora with the avatar. And very few people actually know where Terry Tillman got the idea, but he was traveling in the Serengeti in East Africa, and he began to see indigenous, the indigenous people come up to one another, and they began to take one another with their hands and look at one another in their eyes and say, I see you. And they would spend five to, to ten seconds greeting one another in that way. And one of the, the most profound moments in the movie is when Jake and Natiri are looking at one another at a very pivotal moment at the end of the movie and they say, I see you. Well, you know, as dads, as fathers, we need some men who will take the responsibility to look into our eyes and say, I see you. To walk up to us when we feel like we're hiding or we're comfortable and say, I see you. I'm not going to let you hide. I'm not going to let you sit in a chair of desensitivity where you can put on a mask and just walk through life as a spiritual zombie. But I see you. I'm not going to let you go. I want you to be passionate for God. I'm not going to let you meander through life without making a passionate decision to follow Jesus. I see you. You can't get away. Men, we need some, some dads, some fathers, some men 
who will take moments to keep us accountable because none of us are perfect. You look at a guy like Peter, Simon Peter, the supposed paragon of faith, the rock of the church. This guy denied Jesus three times. This guy fell down and failed in his faith. And yet wasn't it Jesus who looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you and to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. I see you. There's accountability in that kind of relationship where we do not settle for being desensitized to everything that's going on around us, but we make a decision that we're going to be devoted to God and devoted to one another. You've guessed it already by now. I know some of you thought the, the D in the logo stood for dad, but it doesn't stand for dad. It's the title of the message on your sermon notes, Devoted. It's the hot chair. It's the place where we decide we're going to be passionate for God. We're going to pursue God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a place where we realize the only fulfillment in life we'll have is when Christ is number one, that we're fully devoted to him. And when we become hot, about the only way I can describe it is with this fire starter, if it'll start. You place that fire starter under your hand for a, a season and it's okay, but eventually it gets hot and you want to move your hand because it begins to singe your flesh. What happens when you become passionately hot for God. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All of a sudden, your fleshly nature will bow to the Christ nature that's living on the inside of you. All of a sudden, those things that are distractions to you cease to become distractions because now You've been lit up like a torch by your heavenly father who loves you so much that he pursued you and devoted himself to you. It doesn't matter how many degrees we have. I have a doctorate degree. You can have more degrees than a thermostat, but when God sets a torch to you, when God sets a torch to you, those things won't matter to you anymore. You can be more religious, know the rituals to a T than anybody in this auditorium, but when God sets a torch to you, you can strut, strut around like a peacock, try to show everything is okay and there's nothing wrong, but when God sets a torch to you, I mean, you can be clipping bushes and be passionate on fire for God. You can be filling your automobile with gas and you can have hot flashes for God, ladies. 
I'm talking about being hot and being passionate for him. Some people will say, I, I don't understand what it means to truly be devoted to God. And I know sometimes in our spiritual journey, we can get confused and think, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does truly being devoted to God mean? It's very simple, really. It just means you put Christ first in every area of your life. He's first in your personal life. He's first in your family life. He's first in your occupational life. He's first in your social life. You put him first. You remember Job? This was the testimony from God. He is devoted to me. And if you know anything about Job's life, you know that for Job, devotion was a choice and happened as a choice and not by chance. Here's a guy who lost his crops, his cattle, his 10 kids. He's sitting in the midst of ashes, scratching the, the boils with broken pieces of pottery. The boils are all over his body and he's, he's scratching them with these broken pieces of pottery. He's lost everything and his wife, the very person he loves the most is grieving, perhaps because she has lost the 10 kids as well. And so she's angry and frustrated. And she looks at Job and says, just curse God and die. The one that he loves the most throws him under the bus at that moment. And then for 30 chapters in Job, his friends are great friends. Put him under a microscope and tell him all the bad things that he's ever said or done and how bad he is as a husband and a father and a dad. You know, some of us walk in with that kind of a, of a complex sometimes. We feel like, I, I don't have a, a D on my chest. I'm not a superman. I can't leap tall buildings in a single bound. I'm not faster than a locomotive. I'm not a dad of all dads. I, I'm... Job was just like that. And yet he made a choice to be devoted to God. It's a choice. Here's the thing that's legit. Here's what I've realized. If I sit in the hot seat, the hot chair, the devoted chair, in all likelihood, that's where my children and grandchildren will sit. The more I decide to be devoted to God, not just when everything is sunny side up, but when I feel like I'm gum on the bottom of somebody's shoe or I feel like it's the worst day in the history of mankind, during those days when I remain devoted to God, the more I sit in the hot chair, 
in the devoted chair, the more I realize that's probably where my wife and my children and my grandchildren will end up sitting. So let's go back to the question that prompted the signs. Dads, what do we represent? Do we represent the detached, the desensitized, or are we committed to representing the devoted? Being devoted to God, being devoted to our family, being devoted to one another, a heart devoted to him.